Welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network's live 2020 election coverage, focusing on what organized labor is doing throughout the United States to ensure all votes are counted and labor's voice is heard. Reporting will be based on contributions from our national network of members. Views expressed do not represent official positions of the network. The Labor Radio Podcast Network has over 70 labor-focused shows in four countries and serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. You can follow the conversation with the hashtag LaborRadioPod, where we are broadcasting working people's voices 24 hours a day. Conversation with the hashtag Labor Radio Pod, where we are broadcasting working people's voices 24 hours a day. Somebody still has their uh, audio on. Yeah, I think we've got some <laughs> double uh, double audio going there. Echo, that's all right. Probably, probably me. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Welcome back, folks. Hour two of the Labor Radio Podcast Network's live coverage of election 2020 from a labor point of view. And just a reminder, uh, you can uh, share comments, thoughts, and so forth uh, in the uh, Facebook chat. And uh, Brother Alan will uh, relay that. And, uh, and, uh, and do we have anything to share, Alan? I should ask you that. You do not, not yet. Comments have been pretty quiet. All right. Well, it's a little early yet. All right. We're going to do a quick uh, reintro, everybody. And, uh, and then uh, we should be joined shortly. Uh, I think Larry Cohen is up next, if I remember correctly. Um, Larry and or um, Damon Silvers. I'm not sure. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, we'll go to my clockwise this time, which takes us uh, to our producer, Evan. Welcome everyone joining us for election coverage 2020. My name is Evan Papp and I am the executive producer of Empathy Media Lab that is focusing on labor, political economy, arts and culture on the uh, sunny climbs of the Anacostia River in Prince George's County, Maryland. And he also uh, works <coughs> very closely with me on the Labor Podcast, Labor Radio Podcast Network Weekly. Uh, Alan, you should put up a link for folks to check that out um as well so uh brother gene we're in dallas texas where i do the workers beat program uh, at nine o'clock central time every saturday on knon.org and you don't have to be in dallas to hear that we have a link to his podcast uh, on our network uh link and uh, alan will put that up as well that brings us to patrick this is Patrick Dixon from the Labor History Today podcast on the opposite side of the Washington Beltway from Evan in Arlington, Virginia. Okay. Uh, continuing clockwise, Harold. Wow. So you got both sides of Washington, D.C. represented. That's, that's pretty impressive there, guys. I am from the Washington that is on the other side of the country from Washington, D.C., Harold Phillips, co-host of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, based in Vancouver, Washington. Glad to be here. So in, in, in D.C., Southwest Washington has a completely different connotation. <laughs> I uh, do not doubt that. Okay. Uh, Alan, you're up next. Hey, everybody. Um, Alan Weirdak here from Labor History Today and the Cool Things in the Media Archives podcast uh, coming to you from Olney, Maryland in Montgomery County, about 30, 40 minutes outside of D.C. And, uh, and then over to Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy Waugh, host of the Break Time Breakdown podcast, uh, affiliated with the uh, Sheet Metal Workers Local 110 and the Smart International Association uh, Sheet Metal Air Rail and Transportation Workers. Did I say Louisville, Kentucky? No, you we're, uh, we're a few We're a few miles away from Mount Washington, Kentucky, if that helps with all the- It does, it does. <laughs> we, we, we all want, we're, all, we're all connected. You know, here, here inside the Beltway, we feel like it's all Washington all the time. So, you know, <laughs> uh, it all works. Tell us, uh, tell us a bit about SMART, if you would. The uh, sheet so, metal, air, and so, rail transportation 
Yeah, so Smart International Sheet Metal Air Rail and Transportation Workers, and uh, I'm affiliated with the Sheet Metal Division of Smart. Um, and so before we we uh, broke to the top of the hour, Evan was was asking what is a sheet metal worker, and and uh, we had this discussion uh, previously. And uh, man, that is such a tricky question because it it's the some of the some of my uh, uh, brothers and sisters will joke that it really depends on what day it is uh, to describe what we do because it's such a broad craft and I this is might come off as a hot take uh, but this is and this is my personal bias showing but uh, the the construction trades used to be referred to as the skilled trades the union con construction trades uh, used to be the the skilled trades now we're referred to as the building trades and I believe that's because the sheet metal workers are the last of the skilled trades. So I'll just throw that out there if anybody wants to fight me over it. <laughs> but uh, my, my, my reason for that is we're the, we're the, uh, the last trade in the, uh, amongst the building trades that we make everything that we work with. So anything that we install or use, we pretty much make it. And uh, we're the only ones that, that do that. We take a flat piece of metal and make it into whatever we need it to be all right yeah no actually um the uh the the smart uh the, the podcast from smart that that mike blaine works on uh one of my favorite parts of that actually is the uh, beginning they've got a great soundscape that they did where you hear uh, because another uh, I, I think it's called tin knockers right um well wait 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 so I, know, I know the tin knockers are somebody else, right? No, no, no. We can call each other tin knockers. I bet. I bet. Yeah. No, no. Okay. Yeah. We're... If you do the the sound, when you hear the sound coming into that, you realize what that name comes from. Because yeah. it, when I first heard it, it, was like this really loud bang, and like what? And 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 so you must you always hear know. like headphones or earplugs or something, or, or or maybe you're just all deaf. Yeah, it's a combination of both. We usually get around to remembering our our earplugs after, <laughs> after the ringing is nonstop. Um, but yeah, no, tin knocker is definitely a, a, uh, a term of endearment. I would say yeah. for most of us, uh, you always know where the, where the sheet metal workers are. Cause we, we let you know, you hear us. You're coming, you're coming. All right. We have been joined, uh, by none other than Larry Cohen. Larry, let's get your camera adjusted down a little bit there. Hey, there we go. Yeah, I want to see. I want to. I want to see all of Larry. There we I go. Put something in there. Hold on. Hey, uh, Chris. While Larry is getting things adjusted, um, you went around and had us introduce ourselves. I don't think you introduced yourself, did you? I did not. Thank you for catching that. Uh, I am, as far as I know, uh, it's early yet, but uh, Chris Garlock. Um, for the purposes of this uh, broadcast, I'm the host of Union City Radio, also Your Rights at Work on WPFW in Washington, D.C. Thank you, Harold. All right, uh, there we go. Now, now we've got a nice uh, view of, of oh, Larry and a great poster in the background. I like that, Larry. So, yeah, Jacob Lawrence. I thought that might be, did you hear about the recent Jacob Lawrence that they found in somebody's apartment, like across the street from the Met? It was a fascinating story. Yeah, it was, I did hear about it. It was a great yeah, story. Raising stuff. Uh, but listen, we're, we, uh, we could talk to our <laughs> show, but uh, we had Larry's a uh, former president of the Communication Workers of America um, and uh, just a whole bunch of other things. I was trying to think of, of what... Uh, for the purposes of this, uh, you're still chairing the board of Our Revolution, am I right? Yes. Yep, that's good. Okay, cool. Um, so, you know, big uh, Bernie fan, and I'm, I'm just, we, we have a lot to talk about. Let's put it that way. Um, first of all, what are you hearing and seeing uh, on this election night 2020? Are you feeling, how, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I mean, you don't want to be overconfident given what's at stake, but I feel like, uh, you know, seven o'clock, we're going to start to see some good results, even from Florida. Mm -hmm. And uh, polls closed in a bunch of states at seven, Florida, Vermont, uh, some other southern states. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be good. I'm not saying for sure we'll win Florida, but I think it's going to be close enough to predict the win in general. So we, we asked this, we had Harold Meyerson on uh, just a little while ago, and we were asking, um, you know, Harold, if, you know, uh, 
uh, Joe Biden wins? Is this going to be, you know, the second coming for labor and we can all just, uh, you know, party on and it's, it's all going to be wonderful? Is that, uh, it was a little, it, as you can imagine from Harold, it was, a, it was a complicated answer, but I wanted to ask you the same question and then open it up to my colleagues here. Yeah, sure. So the Senate is key. Uh, otherwise, you're left with, uh, you know, what we had for eight years trying to get executive orders. Um, and in the Senate, uh, you know, if I had to predict, I would say there'll be 50 Democratic senators, so no margin. The vice president breaks the tie. It could be 51. Uh, and the key will be uh, a different approach to the rules of the Senate that the Democratic caucus can't stand by and expect to get Republican supporters to put a bill on the floor. The Senate, as most of your viewers and listeners know, um, only requires a majority. We still there? Yeah, we're here. Yeah, you're good. I think, uh, yeah, we're good. Uh, yeah. Evan, just watch the uh, mute for some other folks. I think uh, we had some audio from Ben, but go ahead, Larry, you're good. Yeah. The Senate requires a majority to pass a bill, but requires 60 votes to put the bill on the floor, the greatest contradiction of any parliamentary body in the world. So, and we went through this as labor before with the Employee Free Choice Act and even with the NLRB confirmations uh, in the first Obama term. And we better not go through the same thing again, which is wait and wait and hope and hope, or pray and pray. Uh, the uh, Schumer needs to be on notice from unions right off the bat that uh, we expect the majority to govern. That's what people think they're doing when they vote today. And that as the majority leader, which again, I'm hopeful he will be, I think he will be, um, but barely, uh, he's got to say to that caucus, and they meet in the next few weeks, this is not something that can wait. That new caucus will meet, they will decide on their leadership, committee chairs, and for labor, it's not just about the issues, it's about the process or the issues never get anywhere. And, you know, we passed amazing bills and when Pelosi was the speaker uh, in her second term and Obama was the new president and none of them ever got to the floor of the Senate for debate. Right. So that's my big deal. I've been working on that with Senators Merkley and Warren, uh, 25 groups along with our revolution, any group you can imagine, uh, the NAACP, obviously the AFL-CIO, Tafari Gabray personally very involved. Uh, state uh, labor councils, uh, state feds and, and CLCs. Um, anyway, I could go on and on about that, but that's the big deal to me. Otherwise, um, I could give you my list of 16 items that Biden and, uh, that Biden supports and they're in the Democratic platform. And the excuse will be, well, we don't have 60 votes, so we can't pass the $15 minimum wage. Um, we can't pass the PRO Act. You know, we can't even put them on the floor for discussion and debate. We can't pass uh, a jobs bill. We can't pass a Green New Deal or anything else, any version of that that would, um, that would give uh, good paying jobs to working class people across this country, whether they're black, brown, or white, and build the kind of nation we need. Thanks, Larry. Uh, so what I'm gonna do, actually, before I open it up to my colleagues, uh, I know we have Ben Blake, uh, who's on site somewhere. Uh, also, I think we have Dan Maloney uh, by phone from Rochester, New York, uh, my hometown, uh, which passed uh, a really- Yeah, great, great resolution. Great resolution. Uh, just to, if Trump shuts down democracy, we shut it down. Exactly, uh, which I, I thought you would appreciate, Larry, and, and I'll be right on that. So let's see if we can get him uh, plugged in as well. Uh, Larry, the rest of the folks here are all members of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Um, uh, from across the country. You can see the different shows that they're with, and I will uh, open it up to them. And I just, if somebody can uh, confirm. Yeah, group. Who's, who's up first? Uh, Evan, you're up first. Larry, thanks for joining us. I was on a call uh, a couple weeks ago for Our Revolution Maryland, where Jeremy or, uh, Representative Raskin was on the call as well. And uh, you were very militant on the fact that we need to push the Democrats and we need to make sure that no matter what happens after this, we keep the momentum going. We don't go back to sleep. And there's a lot of people that have had PTSD this last four years and all they want to do is rest. And what is, what's the formula to, to keep the pressure on and to keep the cohesion 
when we're each going to have our own little uh, policies that we're going to want to pass, but to make sure that we keep moving as a united front. Yeah, great question. Uh, and again, as I said, and, and by the way, uh, Maryland, I vote in Maryland. That's where I live, uh, my legal residence, although I'm in D.C. right this minute. Um, but, you know, Maryland's lucky to have Jamie. Uh, there's some others we're not as lucky about, but I'll leave that out for now. And uh, as I said on that, uh, in, that, uh, in that Zoom meeting, um, we need to push Van Hollen and Cardin to make sure they stick with Schumer. Uh, otherwise, it's all happy talk. We get happy talk about, you know, reform health care. We get happy talk about the PRO Act and workers' rights and happy talk about $15 minimum wage. And then they just hide behind the fact that, well, we're sorry, uh, we don't have 60 votes, so we can't put that bill on the floor for discussion and debate. And, you know, we've got to say bullshit to that. And we've got to say it now. We don't wait till January because the Senate is going to organize itself now. And again, what keeps people together is no matter what brought you to this moment fighting Trump, uh, uh, immigration bill, Casa of Maryland, very big on the Senate rules thing. Um, whatever brought you here isn't going anywhere unless we're all united around, uh, you know, that the Senate must work with the majority. McConnell, on anything he cared about, skipped over the 60 votes, Supreme Court nominations. Uh, he lost by one vote, but repeal, repeal the Affordable Care Act. Um, change the number of hours that a nominee is on the floor of the Senate from 30 hours to two and confirm 222 federal judges. Every single th two tax cuts for the billionaires, everything he cared about, he got done with a majority. He never had 60 votes. We better not hear from Democrats now, particularly uh, the, the minority leader, hopefully majority leader, uh, Schumer, that, uh, well, you know, we have to wait and see. There is no time to wait and see, especially now with this pandemic with record unemployment, uh, we're at the bottom of the world. You're all labor uh, uh, journalists. We're at the bottom of the world on workers' rights. We can we, we wait and see as Chile fixes their rules last week. We wait and see as Bolivia has another worker government. We wait and see as Argentina has repealed, uh, re repudiated the right-wing government of Macri and now has a, basically a working-class government. We wait and see as all of Europe has sectoral bargaining and they're all, you know, I'm not saying the unions are strong in every country. At least they have the right to bargain. How long are we going to wait and see? We're done. We need to go now. And that means for all of us on this call, particularly, that that means we win tonight. We see that we're going to have 50 Democratic senators. That's enough. And then we got to go right at all the Democratic senators to say, it's time for action. As my great grandmother said, I grew up in her house. I'll watch your feet, not your mouth. <laughs> Just quick follow up, Chris. And I, I think mass traction demands, you know, you have to rally around demands and it's got to be economic in nature is going to be able to pull together these groups saying that everyone's life is going to improve if we can just get these demands passed and part of it's going to be organ allowing for free organization of labor but the other part's going to be 20 dollars minimum wage 32 hour work week like these right now that some people think pie in the sky uh but that we can and housing for all to get in a second economic bill of rights Specific demands is what I think can bring us together, and it's got to be economic as well. Absolutely. Perfect. Uh, I'll open it to other questions, but I have a sort of a, a, a communication question for you, Larry. As I mentioned, you know, this is these are all members of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. We've actually got, I think, uh, Harold, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we have 73 members of that of the network now uh everything larry from you know some of these are podcasts official podcasts of international unions some of them are very unofficial uh podcasts uh, there's a couple of 20 something uh socialist uh women who are doing something called you, you would like you would actually like this podcast it's called crimes of capital okay <laughs> great, love great show very very definitely unofficial um, but as, you know, former president of communication workers, uh, but, you know, we haven't had this sort of national platform before. And frankly, words are figuring out as we go. Do you have advice for us as, as we're sort of making our way forward here? Yeah, my advice is what you've already done is remarkable. I didn't realize it when we exchanged emails this morning. This is an awesome network. And, you know, my friend and, 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 uh, it makes me sad even to mention his name, Larry Hanley, who is president of ATU. He dreamed of what I'm looking at here. He would have done anything to have seen this, and this is what he wanted. 
and he was way ahead of us on that one. But um, this is, this. I, no, I'll take advice from all of you about what I should be doing. I'm not giving any advice. It's great <laughs> that you're together. And I, I really, uh, I'm very moved to see this. I didn't realize. You'll probably be getting invitations to be on all these shows. So keep your schedule clear. <laughs> For sure. I don't have a question. Just a quick comment. This is Jeremy from uh, Breaktime Breakdown Sheet Metal Worker at our local 110, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Larry, you got me fired up, man. You got me super fired up. And, and so thanks for that. Um, that, you know, that whole 60 vote um, super majority bullshit. Like it, it they, the, this last session they showed us for sure, it doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. And, you know, when we get control, we got to ram it down their throats. I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you, man. We got to right. force the issue. Yes. Yeah. No repeats of 2009 to, to 17, right? No repeat. We've seen I that. Repeat. I have a question for Larry coming from Texas. The, there's going to be a lot of pressure over the next few days uh, saying that we must go beyond the limits of the electoral system. Uh, how would you respond to that? So when you say the electoral system, tell me exactly what you mean. I mean, uh, what you're talking about is what we can do with Congress, what we can do with, with, uh, with the executive, what we can do with uh, the Supreme Court. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people on the streets over the next few days saying that we should go beyond all that and uh, uh, power yeah, people. Yeah, got it. Sorry, Gene, I didn't understand. I know you yeah. had a background with, with jobs, with justice, uh, yep. and, and so did I. And uh, yep. I always admired the fact that Job with Justice could go places that the labor movement and the electoral uh, movement really couldn't go. Yeah, well, that would be a long uh, monologue for me that I know uh, my friend Chris would be furious. So no. I won't do that. You can do but, the short version. You. Um, so in our revolution, we talk about it as a triangle. The base of the triangle is the issue campaigns, the street, the organizing around the issue, right? It could be a local issue. It could be a state issue. It could be a national issue. It could be a working class issue. It could be immigration. Um, they're all related, right? When we forget that, we lose them all. Um, but one side of that triangle is elections. And, you know, the other side is, is building political parties, independent or democratic party, which is mostly what I do, changing it. Like in Texas, my friend Hightower is involved doing, and a lot of other people. But um, uh, so I think the issue work that is not electoral drives us and the, the tactic, sometimes the strategy becomes the election, right, as a way to win on the issue. But we should never forget that as, that as working class people, um, uh, it's the issues, you know, our, whether, whether it's a sheet metal worker at work, I heard you talking before I got on, or, or anybody else on here, uh, you know, it's not, you don't start with electoral politics. You start with, hey, why don't we have decent health care? Hey, my sister and brother over there who I work next to lost their jobs in the pandemic, and now they lost their health care too. How stupid can we be to say that we want to tie health care to work? You know, it's not about, you know, that I'm in love with single payer health care or Medicare or anything else. I am in love with the fact that every other country in the world, Global South as well, that has a democracy, has guaranteed health care whether you have a job or not. And what happens in a pandemic when you have 20 or 30 or 40 million people that don't have health care and they get the disease and they can't get treated, then I'm going to get the disease too. This is insane. Worst, worst death rate in the world. So to go back to your point, Gene, and I should calm down. I live, I'm in an apartment building and I'm sure everybody <laughs> on three floors can hear me. Um, they'll be knocking on the door here soon. But anyway, um, I, I think it's the issue campaigns. So the movement for black lives, an example, um, that, that was not electoral, but then it has an electoral piece to it, particularly at the city level. You know, we got all these people that we endorsed and others in our revolution and other groups, you know, running for district attorney. And you see in my hometown of Philadelphia, Krasner winning, you know, who's a progressive a district attorney made a difference when the police, and I grew up with those fucking cops, and excuse me if I offended anybody, I didn't really mean to. My Go for it, man. Go for it. And, and, you know, Frank Rizzo, who is a fascist, was the police commissioner and then the mayor. That's right. That's right. And, and literally, you know, I, I got arrested repeatedly and, and worse. So, and if I was black, I would probably be dead. But um, all I'm saying is 
that to have Larry Krasner as the DA instead of the shit we've had there since I was 18, 17, and saw that is amazing and it makes a difference. So, so even that, which you know, comes out of the rage of, of uh, you know, of, of, of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and and you know, countless other people murdered and shot and, and beat up. Um, uh, you know, even that rage gene has an electoral side to it. And, and the people that I know that are, that are, that are active in, in Committee for Black Lives would say to us all, not only do we have to beat Trump, uh, not only do we have to, you know, elect decent people as DAs, not only do we have to, um, you know, uh, defund or, or reconfigure what policing means, not only do we have to make sure that we don't have white supremacists get jobs as cops, but we also, you know, we also, um, you know, there is an electoral side to that triangle, to any of these, to any of these things. That's all. And again, sorry that I went on too long. Not at all, Larry. It's, it's a, you, 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 got, you got Jeremy fired up, so I think, you know, job well done there. Uh, but before we do let you go, Harold had a, had a question for you, and then I think we're going to go to a live report. It looks like Ben Blake is down at the AFL-CIO, but uh, go ahead, Harold. Yeah, Larry, um, you know, you, you are getting everybody fired up, and uh, that's good because we need that fire. We need that passion. Um, as you know, there are a lot of different views in the labor movement, a lot yeah. of different unions, a lot of different members with diverse views as well. So when we're talking about something like really pushing the people in charge in Congress, can you think of unifying messaging that can transcend those different factions within labor, the things that we can all agree on to get around so that we can be a united front when we go to these Congress people? Yeah, that was eloquent and I couldn't agree with that more. So I could just say that if you want me to say more. And really that was perfect. Um, so I think we have to, at least some of the things that we organize around should be things that do unify, uh, you know, unions, but also other working class people who can't get in, in the private sector and in half the states in the public sector. It's like knocking on a door and it's locked and it's chained shut. And you're never getting in. You could kick the fucking door down and you might not get in. So uh, $15 and I'm, I'm there, you know, let's boost that up whenever we can. But I, let me just say on 15, it can't be $15 in 15 years. We, we got to fight for $15, you know, in 2020 by 2022. Um, and that, that's a huge difference, even with this unemployment and pandemic. We got to remember that it's stimulate. You want to stimulate the economy. That's economic jargon. But, you know, pay people all at least $15. The PRO Act, these are things that will unify. Decent trade policy. We got to say to Biden, no, we don't want Rahm Emanuel. That's a rumor I heard. Rahm Emanuel, this is a serious rumor as U.S. trade representatives. Let's make sure we get somebody worse than Lighthizer. Lighthizer is the best we've had in my recent lifetime. That's Trump's trade rep. We got to be honest here. Now, that doesn't mean that Lighthizer is going to stay, but we better get somebody who's going to get rid of the corporate trade deals. That will unify labor. And that did unify labor. I mean, I worked on Employee Free Choice Act. I worked to fight the TPP. We had labor unified on that, $15 minimum wage. Uh, you know, it's also okay. You know, you guys and, and, and sisters have been in unions. You know, in my union, we didn't have unanimity. We had unity at the end of the day. We never had unanimity in my union, never. Uh, you know, whether that was, you know, anybody running or whether that was, you know, uh, and people would get, you know, fired up at times, not always agreeing. I, I wouldn't worry about that. I think we got to say to people, you know, there's some ground rules about that, but, you know, we take votes, but, you know, and we figure out how we mediate disputes, you know, whether it's in, in Louisville or, or, or in the country. We don't need to pretend that we all have to agree in order to move forward. And there's a lot of stuff we're not going to agree on. But I think we should focus, as you just said so eloquently, on a bunch of things that we will agree on and push those up front, you know, including $600 a week extra unemployment, et cetera. There's a long list that everybody's going to have health care. You know, exactly how you get it, we could have some disagreements over. I mean, I'm a Medicare for all person. It doesn't mean that everybody has to agree with me, but everybody's got to have health care, not, quote, access to health care. You know, that's like saying I can go buy a Ferrari. Yeah, I can look at the 
Ferrari. I can't buy it. We need to have access, not access. We need to have healthcare, not access to healthcare. So I think there's a lot of things that would unite us. Uh, I think we need to lead with those things. The Voting Rights Act, DC statehood. There's a lot of things that would unite us. You know, democracy, public financing, HR1 that never got to the floor of the Senate. Um, there's a lot of things that would unite us. And uh, I think the answer to that is lead with us, but don't be afraid of disagreement um, either. Because in any local union hall that I ever went to in CWI, and I went to, you know, we have a lot of locals, hundreds of them, you know, they, there was none where everybody agreed on everything. And my family, everybody never agreed on everything, you know. So I think we're, we, we look for that uni unanimity and, and we can have unity without it. Amen, brother. Well, and speaking of that, Larry, this will set up because as you can see, you know, Ben is down to Black Lives Matter Plaza, which is front of the AFL-CIO. And, you know, I've wound up having some really interesting discussions uh, around this issue with folks in the labor movement uh, and people who, what I've learned is I, I cannot predict how people are going to be on this issue. And I'm just curious about how those conversations have gone for you uh, because, I mean, it is, it, it, you know, I know the executive council, I know at the AFL-CIO, I mean, this is a real hot button issue. Um, and, and so I'm just, I'm just curious for your thoughts on that. Yeah, exactly. Um, Chris, exactly what question? Well, on Black Lives Matter. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, oh, I would, personally, and in our revolution, I would go all the way in on that issue. You know, if I was still the president of CWA, I would be, you know, a little more careful because our broader alliance includes, uh, you know, AFSCME and, and, you know, worked with SEIU and, you know, because CWA has not changed to win and the AFL-CIO on organizing and changed to win. So, um, you know, you know, we need to be, you know, again, to um, Harold's point, um, you know, we need to be able to open up uh, a debate on, on, on all aspects. For, for our revolution, you know, we, we would go all the way on, on Committee for Black Lives and the demands that they're making. And, you know, I would say to people, uh, well, I said this when I was president of CWA, this country's never come to terms with slavery. And again, I grew up North Philadelphia, uh, and you know it's not like every black kid and white kid. This is 50 years ago. Worked great together in high school or anywhere else. But uh, you know, we better come to terms with that, and you don't just jump over it. And and slavery, uh, you know, I also and our revolution totally support um, you know citizenship for anyone who wants it who's an immigrant who's here now, um, and and. Um, you know, particularly people with green cards not having to pay several thousand dollars to vote. And therefore, 11 million green card holders not voting in this election. But, um, but I, I do think that uh, in terms of issues that are complicated, CWA, you know, even background checks on guns could have been complicated. It doesn't mean that we don't end up by a majority and people understand it. Hey, we're supporting background checks on guns. Um, I'm not saying everybody should take on the issues that are going to that are going to be you know you'll be up all night arguing about them, but I do think that on a critical issue like um, slavery and the fact that Reconstruction in this country lasted a few years and was gone and then got sold out literally sold out in the presidential election I forget exactly which year I'm sure everybody else here knows that but I forgot um, but it wasn't long after the Civil War it was totally sold out in exchange for for uh, Hayes or somebody getting the presidency. So, you know, like it or not, we better come to terms with that. And secondly, we should come to terms with the fact, uh, you know, that again, I saw as a kid in Philadelphia, uh, there are white supremacists on the police force of many, uh, in many parts of this country. And that doesn't mean that we condemn the police force, but we condemn white supremacy on the police force. And we're not afraid to use those words. Um, and if that means that uh, and again, easier for me to say this now, but if that means that there aren't uh, police unions within our unions and they're in separate unions, that's the way it goes. Much more important, my opinion, again, to sort out um, how we build black-white unity. We will get nowhere in this country without that. And uh, that has got to be a primary thing, um, you know, black, white, and brown, uh, that we are united as working class people and that we will talk through whatever differences we have, but we will unite and fight or else we don't win.
You know, Larry, uh, before you came on, we were talking about setting up a podcast where a bunch of union members pour themselves a drink and talk to each other. Sounds like some of the conversations people could have over a beer, right? Absolutely. And they got to agree to ground rules, right? Just like we always have. And the ground rules are you could raise your voice, but you're not raising your fist. There you go. There you go. Larry, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. And uh, frankly, uh, let's see how things go tonight. We may have to have you back tomorrow to do some uh, Wednesday morning quarterbacking. But uh, thank you. I'm doing the BBC at 1 a.m. live, so I'm not my God. in the morning. I'll see you, brother. See you thank all. You. Well, you, be Eric. strong. Be safe. Thanks so much, Larry. Thank you so much. Larry Cohen, he's a former president of the Communication Workers of America, my union, by the way, and uh, chair support of Our Revolution. All right. Uh, Dan Maloney, you have been very patient. Uh, can we get Dan off of mute from, uh, from my hometown in Rochester? Are you there, Dan? Uh, looks like he went back on mute. Let's uh, see if we can kind of get him off. Yeah, of it. Dan? Dan, I think you're there. We... we Give us, give us a one, two, one, two. He's, I think he's on his phone, so he's going back and forth. All right, while we work on that, uh, Dan, just get yourself uh, off. I think you're off mute there, Dan. Hello, Chris. Oh, there he is. All right, Rochester, coming in loud and clear. Hey, first of all, you guys, <laughs> Perfect. You guys got any snow up there yet, or is it still a little early for that? No, there was some snow this morning, just light flakes, nothing major. You know, we love the snow up here. It's jobs. People plowing it and removing it from the streets. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to be heading I'm, up I'm there the positive. Uh, pretty soon, actually. Y'all went and changed your rules. Uh, you had that, that real strict quarantine thing, and now as long as I get a, a clear test, I can come on up and see my dad, see how he's recovering from that hip surgery. So uh, you may see me sooner rather than later. It'd be our pleasure. All right. So, hey, listen, uh, uh, appreciate yeah. you hang, hanging in there. I wanted to, uh, uh, we were talking a great deal yesterday about the, the, um, uh, the resolution that uh, the Rochester Labor Council passed on a general strike. And, you know, first of all, I wanted to let people know what that was, but then I want to get your take on, on how things are looking. But uh, go ahead and tell folks about your resolution. Sure. That was the Defending Democracy resolution and the heart and soul of it is if today when the American people speak after all the votes are counted and certified and Biden's the winner as we all expect and hope and pray that uh, Trump has so far refused uh, to state that he will accept the results of the election and uh, and you know uh, a peaceful transition of power to occur as has since the beginning of this republic so if that's the case and Trump refuses that transition of power, we're gonna force his hand. A national general strike gets capital on board, right? You shut down the economy and those people, those wealthy elites that for lack of a better term, own those politicians in Washington, right? That gives us the political clout that we need to make him leave office. Because you know all the working folks we already know where we stand. And, you know, Trump's a guy that'll definitely spit in the eye, put his thumb in your eye. He doesn't care what you think. He'll do what he wants to do. Well, it's time for us to remember where the power comes from. So the power of the corporation, the power of this economy is on the backs of the working folks in this nation. And we need to take that power back. And this is one way that we can do it. So it was, the resolution was written to allow Washington, uh, the AFL-CIO, the national AFL-CIO, to call for a national general strike. Most of the major uh, unions are represented on that national council. So we're just hoping that labor can find its groove in the moment when, uh, like we've been hearing about, people are definitely strikes are ratcheting up, the Black Lives Matter movement. There's been a whole lot more uh, folks on the street ready to uh, take back our nation. And we thought we should jump on this train and let people remember who we are and, and where that power rests. So, you know, we've used the, the power of the strike over the years in as a negotiating tool to get the fair share of the pie that we bake as workers. Well, in this case, we could use that tool to reclaim democracy 
And I tell you what, it feels good to hold the high ground, the patriotic high ground that, you know, the conservatives have been trying to uh, uh, grab hold of for all these decades, wrap themselves in the flag and act like they're more American than everybody else. And it's just not the case. So this is our opportunity. And, uh, you know, we're, we're happy it passed unanimously. It's getting legs. A lot of other labor councils and other progressive groups are uh, jumping on board and passing similar resolutions. And so it's been encouraging. I actually had a reporter, a uh, podcast reporter from Sweden hit me up last Friday on this issue. So it's going global. Well, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you know, I mean, I of course know about Rochester it's where I, you know, grew up and my family's there, but you know, did you really, did you, were you at all surprised when it kind of went viral and, and others, you know, labor councils started picking that up and you started getting, you know, calls from around the country and around the world? No, it wasn't surprising at all. Like I said, it's encouraging. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm just really happy that folks, you know, remember who we are. Um, I don't think that the, uh, the powers that be in the AFL-CIO were real happy about it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we've been, obviously. Um, I can confirm. But we've been talking about this for, <laughs> we've been talking about this for a long time that, you know, we sat by when Pat Coe, uh, went on strike, and there's a lot of reasons for, you know, what happened. They endorsed, uh, um, at the time, Ronald Reagan. Um, you know, they didn't call for help. They wanted, some people say, to be on their own, whatever it is. We should have jumped, came to their defense at the time, but it was the beginning of the end that we didn't. And, you know, that's the bottom line. The power of unions are working together and uh, for economic and social justice. So it doesn't matter any of the little infighting that we didn't take uh, collective action at that time. And then and there's been some subsequent actions we should have taken. You know, I come out of the UAW and, you know, the long storied history of Walter Ruther, um, our ties with the um, social justice movement, with the various uh, boycott for farm workers that we've jumped on board with, the entire civil rights movement, still extremely proud that Martin Luther King Jr. wrote the I Have a Dream speech at UAW Solidarity House and delivered the first version of that in Detroit before he delivered it on the mall in Washington. So, you know, we have a long storied history, but it seems like we forgot who we are and what power we have. So that's kind of the intent of this was to get people to get their groove back, right? Remember who we are. And again, I, I know that uh, the national leaders weren't real happy about it, but the rank and file sure is. And, you know, they're ready. and. You, you have to admit, if there's a coup attempt against our nation by a rogue individual, a wannabe dictator, you're going to have to take any and all action necessary. And that's what we're talking about here. And everybody's willing to get on board. So, yeah, that's that story, that resolution got legs and uh, coast to coast and now globally. Well, Dan, I could not be prouder to to be from Rochester. And as I, as I mentioned when I had you on my show a while back, you know, I have lots of fond memories and a couple of not so fond memories. I remember uh, when Reagan won the first time, I remember exactly where I was because I was in your union hall up on Dewey Avenue. Uh, sitting there watching that that uh, map turn red and it was not a, it was not a good day. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very disappointing for a lot of us. And uh, just to see, and you know, he didn't have the Congress either. Nope. nope. And I think it was Larry was talking about the first term, um, Obama's first term of office, yep. Obama Biden, that the Democrats do not take bold action like the Republican conservatives do. And we have to learn from that. There is no waiting. I like what he was saying. We got to put Schumer and the rest on notice now. If we are fortunate, and I'm hopeful, that we at least hit that 50, 51 in the Senate. If we get that majority, we have to move legislation fast. There is no time to wait. There's no being genteel, reaching across the aisle. You use a sledgehammer just like our enemies do. And you take back this country and make it right. Social and economic justice, that's what we're after. So yes, healthcare for all. I heard the one brother talking about $15. 
at a federal level, minimum wage, that's great, but put an index on it. Then we don't ever have to argue about that again, right? It's, the argument will be, what do we use? CPI, what index? But definitely index at $15 an hour. We can't afford to have minimum wage slipping back year over year and having to come back and argue about this every five years. Um, healthcare Damn. for all, like they said, it's, it's, it's a right. It's a right. Absolutely. Uh, Dan, Evan Papp has a question for you before you go. Hey, Dan, this is Evan sure. Papp from Empathy Media Lab and uh, based in Maryland, Washington, D.C. area. And thank you for your courage and leadership in raising this issue and bucking the higher leadership in your organization. And uh, to put Schumer on notice, I think he uh, has an election in 2022. Being in New York, uh, you may want to think about primarying him or at least uh, threatening a primary if, if he's not going along with the program. You know, and that's another thing the, the Republicans did with the Tea Party, mm -hmm. right? They put their own guys on notice. You either fall in line or we take you out. And, you know, it's a shame that it seems like you're stooping to a level, but we don't have time to be genteel, right? We do have to move. So I appreciate your, uh, your input. And absolutely, I was on, on the horn with one of Schumer's staffers today. Well, well, Dan, I think that Larry got to the number of this, which is, I think, one of the things, and I've seen this in the labor movement, I've seen this among the Democrats, you know, uh, and to your point, you know, that we're like, oh, we all got to be on board, we all got to get along. Uh, and, and, you know, in my family, when we were sitting around the dinner table, we had lots of arguments, you know, lots and lots of arguments. We're still a family, you know. We ought to be able to have arguments and to have disagreements, maybe even vehement disagreements, um, you know, and, 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 you know, yet still be on the same side. Uh, and I think the idea of, of primarying some of these folks, uh, you know, even though they're, they're friends and, you know, and, and look, here in D.C., uh, you know, we've had this issue. We have folks that say, oh, you know, we, you, you got to go with me because I'm the Democrat. I'm a friend of labor. And we look at their voting record and we're like, yeah, not so much, you know. We're, right. we're, afraid, we're afraid to do that. And again, what they say um, prior to an election and then what do they follow through with once That's elected right. are two different things. And uh, yeah, we got to call them on a carpet for their, their actions, for their votes, for what they don't do versus what they said they were going to do. Um, yeah, and there's other stuff. The trade laws, that was a huge one for manufacturing firms like I work with, right? That we have you know, giving that away, um, our jobs. Um, and I believe, we, you know, we sold out democracy. We're propping up communism in China with our dollars so a few fat cats get really wealthy and the rest of us suffer. And none of those workers in China are really better off, as was witnessed by those uh, suicide nets around that high-tech firm who was on a 60 Minutes report. It's like the old... Uh, mining towns. They're hot bunking after working 12-hour shifts, 16-hour shifts. Um, they really aren't any better off for their labors in China and a very repressive regime. But we're, we are propping them up with our dollars due to our trade laws. So that has to change as well. And solidarity yeah. around the globe would help. And it's been great talking with you. Keep up the great fight up there in Rochester. And like I say, when I when I get up there, I'll hit you up and uh, we'll have to go see see what's going on in Rochester, all right? All right, Chris. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Take care. That's Dan Maloney. He's the president of the Rochester Labor Council and also of the UAW Local 1097. All right. Uh, I believe we still have Ben Blake. If we can, uh, we, I think he's down at Black Lives Matter Plaza, which is uh, also where the AFL-CIO is, if I'm not mistaken. So let's see if we can uh, get Ben on the horn here for uh, a live report from Black Lives Matter uh, Plaza. Harold, I see you're back uh, from Washington uh, State. I'm back from Washington State in Washington State, and I just thought it was worth mentioning that we are about 10 minutes away from many polls closing. Yes. So uh, the election reports are going to start rolling in. I think it's important that we remind everybody that no matter what you see in terms of election results, they are very early. So if you start to see Trump is up by 36, Biden is up by 47, 
remember there are a lot of absentee votes, there are a lot of mail-in votes that have yet to be counted. Don't start to hyperventilate, don't crack that bottle of bourbon that Jeremy's got sitting there next to him. We've got a long time to go before we have any definitive answers here. Right, but there are some small victories that we need to take into account. Uh, for instance, the uh, Kentucky poll is closed at six. And normally when the polls close, like uh, at set, they normally close at seven. Uh, and so at like 10 to seven, they're already calling it for the Republican. <laughs> this is usually how it works in Kentucky. Oh, wow. uh, however, the, uh, we're, we're, we're almost a, an hour in. And for the first time that I can recall, uh, Kentucky is shaded blue on the map because Biden's in the lead. Not that it means anything. It's not going to hold, but just the fact that Kentucky right now is blue. It's a it, moment. It's, it's a, a moment. Mo it's a small victory. Hey. Oh, by sweet, the same sweet. token, New Hampshire is currently shaded red because Trump is leading in New Hampshire. But as many election pundits have pointed out, a lot of Democratic voters are expected to have voted by mail, and a lot of Republican voters are expected to do same-day voting at the polls. So again, these are very early results. Don't go crazy looking at this stuff, folks. Thank you, Harold. Uh, Evan, I think you have a comment from our Facebook feed, am I right? Yes. Uh, Leah Lewis uh, asked during Larry Cohen's presentation, can we find another word for white supremacy? And uh, Leah Lewis is a friend of mine. I actually lived with her and her brother at 1403 Meridian Place in Columbia Heights, Washington, DC, a long time ago. So Leah, thanks for joining us this evening. My personal view is that uh, white supremacy is just not strong enough of a word. I, I think we should be using words like, when you start getting into the word fascism, it's already built in that there's racism, misogyny, bigotry. And if you're a really bad fascist, then you're probably a Nazi fascist. And uh, the, the idea of fascism, I think, is uh, about power. So a lot of the white supremacy is, is actually trying to support these built-in power structures, which I think are very much related to fascism. And I think the Ku Klux Klan was one of the first manifestations of uh, fascism in America as a response to failed reconstruction. But that's that's where I go when I talk about uh, some of these groups. I call them uh, Nazi fascists or fascists. I, I also don't like the word white supremacist, though there are, they are racist inherently by being a fascist. So. so I guess one of the things that I would throw out, and I, I, I think this is a good discussion to have, uh, although we have eight minutes for, for this piece of it anyway, um, so we're not gonna get too far with it. My concern is that when we use words like fascist or white supremacist or racist or you know any of these what i have seen happen is that people shut down so you know the argument that it is an accurate word to use um is to me secondary i mean we're all communicators you know by definition of, of being you know part of this network we are communicators and i find that it, it makes it difficult to communicate with people um, you know, even if they are saying racist things, which means that they are, you know, likely a racist, but if you call them a racist, it becomes difficult uh, to have that conversation. Um, so that's just an observation. I'd love to hear what other folks have to say about it. I guess um, to chime in, I mean, I don't know. I, I, think, I think you call a spade a spade. Um, if you're a white supremacist, you, you should be called a white supremacist. Um, I think... I think the word, I think there are other words to be used um, in terms of using, uh, you know, fascist or Nazi. I think that there's relations there and intersections, but I also think that they are their, their own thing. Like, I don't, I think <clears throat> overlap, but also that they're separate terms with separate meanings. And I think we should be mindful of that. But the problem is that, you know, uh, let's take white supremacists. My guess is that most white supremacists don't think that they're white supremacists, right? I don't know. I mean, if you look at some of these three percenters and these Patriot Prayer folks and Proud Boys, like they, uh, they are pretty outspokenly supportive of, a, of white supremacy. I mean, you look at these Boogaloo Boys, um, you know, one of their goals, I think about the his, uh, historian Catherine, uh, or Kathleen Bellow, um, who wrote this book called 
called Bring the War Home that basically looks at the rise of white nationalism after Vietnam. And essentially their whole goal is this transnational white ethno state. And what they're interested in is, is overthrowing government. Whereas, you know, fascism is kind of like a government first approach. Whereas these Boogaloo boys have a more race-based first approach that intends to overthrow government to get this white ethno state. So, yeah, guys, if I may, um, living in the Pacific Northwest, which has been alternately considered the homeland for many of these white supremacist groups, whether you're talking about uh, Caldwell, Idaho, or um, the state of Oregon, <laughs> close to when it was founded, um, I think there is explicit white supremacy. Absolutely. I think the broader issue isn't the explicit white supremacy, it's this notion of systemic racism. It's the casual racism that a lot of people don't do intentionally. It's just something that they've been brought up thinking. They do things automatically without thinking. Um, and that's the part that is a lot harder to tamp down. When we talk about white supremacy, it's easy to call out the people in the armbands and the white sheets. It's not as easy to deal with our upbringings. And I think it's worth mentioning that uh, this is a bunch of white guys talking about white supremacy here. So chances are, as we were growing up, we probably heard something from our family members that we didn't even think we were internalizing, but then we may find that coming out of our own mouths or popping into our own heads 20, 30, 40 years later. That's the hard stuff to try and tamp down on. So Leah, Leah actually commented uh, back uh, as kind of an exchange right now. And she asked, but is, it ext uh, but is it supreme? What about white delusion delusionalism? And so by even using the word white supremacism, we're actually feeding into the myth. And my personal view is that fascism is about power. I mean, there's always going to be people that are going to divide people up into segments. And I think when you get into the power structures, that's when you start seeing fascism actually come up. And when you're engaging with a fascist, they don't care about truth, it's about power. And they will tell you anything they want at the time. And there's, there's tremendous uh, journalistic history of what was going on in Germany where they, they were self-proclaimed fascists saying, you know, they're, they're laughing at people saying, well, what you're saying is absolutely absurd. And the fascist is like, yeah, but I don't care because that isn't what it's about. It's about power. And so that's where I like to go as well. But um, maybe a little bit off topic from labor right now, or maybe completely intertwined. So it's not off topic. The, uh, the problem that we're facing uh, on November the 3rd is that 40% or so of Americans are lined up with a lot of racist ideas. Uh, I completely agree with Chris, though, that calling names is, uh, is not going to get us there. We're not going to win that 40% over, over by calling them this or that name. That doesn't mean that we have to limit our vocabulary. In fact, uh, that would be one of the things that Mr. Trump wants to do. Some of the words that you've just used, white supremacist uh, 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 and a couple of others that, that are already in this discussion have been outlawed by Mr. Trump in, uh, in the uh, uh, classes that corporations are teaching. That's right. That's right. Uh, and so, so we don't need to limit our vocabulary. We do need to limit our name calling. All right, so uh, this, I have a feeling we're gonna be discussing this plenty more uh, as we go forward. So thank you, Leah, for, for raising this. And again, this is, you know, this is the way this network is. You know, we are all, uh, this is on the network. We all have shows. We are uh, united as a network. Uh, these are things that we are interested in, we wanna talk about, and we wanna talk about with you. So please keep those comments coming. It's a discussion, um, and it's a discussion moving forward, frankly. It really is, so thank you for that. Um, all right, so uh, we are going, we're at the top of the hour. This is uh, gonna move into hour three. 
and uh, I am going to step away for a few minutes. Uh, actually, Liz Schuler is going to be uh, joining us, I think around nine, and I just have to iron out some details with that. Uh, so Harold is going to take over the anchoring duties, and I believe that uh, Evan is going to fire up some videos. Uh, but everybody stay tuned, spread the word. Uh, we are getting into uh, the, the serious, uh, what, what, when I worked in restaurants, what we used to call the weeds. I believe we, were, we are getting right into the weeds now. It's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. So uh, over to you, Evan and team. Mm -hmm.